John is one of the elders of Redeeming Grace, our former church in Vermont. John is a jack of all trades and a master of most. John's ability to do anything technical is legendary. At one time, John had a working pipe organ in his home. A few years back, John decided to remove the pipe organ and use that salvage room for an electronics laboratory. Whenever anyone asks what John does in there, his standard reply is, I sit in there plotting how to uh, take over the world. (laughs) One of the church members was over at John's home shortly after John had built his laboratory. And she asked what he did in there, and John gave his standard answer, I sit in there plotting how to take over the world. (laughs) Without missing a beat, she responded, So what's taken you? With his vast array of talents, John should have taken over the world long ago. I want us this morning to think about my mission and your mission and our mission as a church in 2020. As long as you understand this correctly, I'm claiming that your mission as a believer in Jesus Christ and our joint mission together is world dominion. Any goal less than that is not worthy of Jesus Christ. We should be plotting how to take over the world in the biblical sense of that mandate. What is our mandate? Well, first, let's dismiss all distorted ideas of world dominion. Some Christians believe that if we can just seize the levers of secular power, we can return America to being a Christian nation. How did being a Christian nation work out for Baptists in colonial times? A 1645 Massachusetts Massachusetts law specifically banned Baptists from the colony, calling them the incendiaries of commonwealths and the troublers of churches in all places. That's how I think about Baptists. Listen, if, if the terrible death spiral of our culture is reversed because, because hearts and minds are being transformed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, well then praise God. Some great revivals of the past have transformed society for at least a time. But grasping at worldly power is not the Bible's plan for our mission. It's a distraction from our real mission the mandate to make disciples of all the nations. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Christians should stand for righteousness and truth wherever they live. Even though William Carey, the great missionary to India, focused on evangelism and Bible translation, he also worked to ban the practice of burning widows alive on their their husbands' funeral pyres. William Wilberforce in England labored to ban the slave trade. Working to limit or end abortion on demand is a righteous cause. Those are much different from the goals of those who want to seize the power of the state to enforce Christian morality and put down the infidels. It's right in a republic like ours for believers to be informed and vote and make our views known to our representatives. 
If believers feel led to seek public office, that's fine, as long as they're not hoping to bring the kingdom of God to earth by political means. Think carefully with me. When you read the book of Acts, how much do you find about Christians faithfully preaching the gospel and seeing unbelievers come to saving faith on a regular basis? Oh, lots. How much do you find about believers living lives of such power and gospel goodness that non-Christians were astounded by what they saw? Tons. How much do you find about Christians seeking to transform the structures of society to be more Christian? Zero. Zip. Nada. Reading through the New Testament, how often do you find commands urging believers to grab the power structures of their cultures? You will look in vain. We're not looking to merge church and state. The only merging of religious power with political power was the nation of Israel. History teaches us that whenever some group or other has attempted to mix church and state, the results have usually been ugly often disastrous. I mean, think about merry old England when Catholic rulers killed Protestants and then when the tables were turned, Protestant rulers killed Catholics. Jesus ran when his followers tried to make him king. When Satan tempted Jesus, he offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would but bow down and worship him. When Jesus Christ appeared before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked Jesus if he claimed to be a king. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. So that's the negative. On the positive side, I believe the Bible teaches about two kinds of dominion. One will come only when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory. Only then will the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, Revelation eleven fifteen. This will not come about because the church gradually takes over the governments of the world. It will take place all at once when the Lord Jesus Christ blazes forth in all his glory. And then there's the dominion that takes place in the heart, bringing men and women and children to obey the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. That dominion is spreading slowly, surely throughout the world. The church of Jesus Christ is following his orders to spread the gospel to all nations. Men, women, and children bow before Jesus Christ as Savior and King. He rules in the hearts of all who believe. In this age, the church has only one world dominion mandate, spreading the gospel wherever and whenever we have the opportunity. That mandate remains in force till the end of the age, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory. Following our King's orders, the church must keep advancing the gospel until there is a committed core of followers of Jesus Christ among every people group. That's the kind of the dominion the church is called to pursue, and nothing should distract us from that mission. At Harvest, we are convinced that the entire Bible, including the Old Testament, is about Jesus Christ, because that's how he taught us to read the Bible. 
In that sense, every psalm is about Jesus. And yet, if I can say it this way, Psalm 2 is radically about Jesus Christ. Several places in the New Testament quote Psalm 2 in reference to Jesus Christ and the mission of Christ's church. The Father speaks to the Son, whom he has begotten. He says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. The Son has asked the Father to grant him the nations. The Father will certainly answer the Son's request. When will that come about? Well, not completely until the Lord returns in glory. Yet there's certainly an aspect of the the Son extending his dominion to the nations even now. The Father has granted the Son all authority in heaven and on earth. The Son has charged his church to make disciples of all nations. We accomplish this by proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ's name to all the nations. Luke 24, 47. That is our prime directive as believers. There's nothing more important happening anywhere on earth And I believe the mandate includes both evangelism and missions. Sharing the gospel with my family, my neighbor, my co-worker, and supporting the work of spreading the gospel around the world. William Carey, a committed Baptist, has been called the father of world missions. While he was clear about God's sovereignty, God taught, uh, Carey taught that God uses human means to carry out his plan for world dominion. Carey showed from Scripture that Jesus' command to make disciples of all the nations was a charge laid on every believer in Jesus Christ in every age until Jesus Christ returns in glory. Do we really believe in Christian world dominion at harvest? The answer is, you bet we do, if you understand it in a biblical way. We believe that all Christians are charged with spreading the gospel so that many are called to the obedience of faith, so that there are obedient followers of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world. The elders of harvest Put it this way, we exist to grow and multiply disciples of Jesus. It's right there on the banners you see every Sunday. And that is a beautiful summary of our work. I was so excited when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I wrote letters, long letters, to almost everyone I knew about my newfound faith. When people started shooting me down and sending nasty replies back, I shared my faith less openly. I got involved with other believers in church activities, all good things, and yet I rubbed shoulders with fewer and fewer unbelievers. Can any of you relate to that at all? The risen Lord Jesus Christ has called each of us as believers and the church of Jesus Christ as a whole to be actively involved in spreading the gospel, the glorious gospel, to every people group on the face of the earth, and to be active in telling those near us about Jesus Christ. 
What's it called when we know what the right thing to do is and then don't do it? It's called sin. James 4.17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. What does God call us to do about sin? Just like any other sin, we need to repent of the sin of failing to obey the Great Commission and then by God's grace to take corrective action so that we do not continue to commit that sin. One reason that Margaret and I were attracted to Harvest is the global vision of the leadership. We were impressed that a church this young was already supporting an overseas missionary couple. I want to challenge you as I challenge myself in the new year. There can be little doubt that God wants us to be plotting, in a good way, how to take over the world. I think at times God must look down on his church and ask, so what's taken you? Each of us needs to ask ourselves, what's keeping me from pursuing that goal? For some of us, it's the fear of man, as it often has been for me. It may still be fairly safe to share your faith down here in the South. I think that's going to change quickly. How hard is it today to be totally upfront about being a believer in the military? How I admire young people who are willing to take a clear stand for Christ in the public schools and, or at a secular university. Life can be the, so difficult for those who stand clearly for truth and godliness. If the fear of man is keeping you from sharing your faith, the cure is developing a healthy love and fear of God. So what's taking you? For others, what diverts us from mission is being distracted by too many other things. I mean, there's a whole industry devoted to distracting. It's called the entertainment industry. I mean, you can, you can put on alternate reality goggles and be transported to a totally different reality. Cable and satellite offer endless choices for sports, movies, shopping, cooking, exercise. Then we got to check up on all our friends on social media. And what happens? I mean, an hour can just morph into a whole evening, gone. It's so easy for sports, music, dance, drama, or hobbies to cross the line from being harmless recreations to controlling life passions. At three years old, our daughter announced after seeing performance of the Nutcracker, that she wanted to be what she called a jumper dancer. <laughs> Listen, ballet is wonderful exercise and discipline. Yet it would have been easy for ballet to become her consuming passion in an unhealthy way. She turned down an, an offer to uh, join a select dance company because she knew it would involve endless hours of rehearsal and keep her from church activities. I mean, think of all the girls you know who took dance lessons, yet maybe what? I don't know, less than one in a hundred goes on to dance professionally. 
It's the same with all of the junior soccer players, little league phenoms, juvenile musical prodigies, gymnasts, and so on. I mean, we have seen how seriously private schools down here in the South take their sports programs. Whoa! Truth be told, a minuscule percentage of high school football players is ever going to go on to star at the college level. And of those, an even smaller percentage is ever going to play professionally. It is so easy for dance, sports, hobbies, music, hunting, fishing, travel, you name it, to become all-consuming passions. It's so easy for entertainment and social media to become a controlling passion. I, I fight that pull constantly. As believers, we are called to a single controlling passion, the worldwide spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would those who know you well say that your life is fueled with a passion for the spread of, your, of the gospel? What are you modeling for your children, your grandchildren? Would they say that your passion for Christ and his kingdom surpasses your passion for sports or music or hobbies or entertainment or food or travel or deer camp or anything else in your life? If you can't honestly say yes, what can you do to move your life in that direction in the coming year? Would you consider setting limits for yourself if entertainment is taking up the time you could be using to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ and reach out to unbelievers? Will you deliberately fuel your own passion to have a part in bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among the nations? Let me challenge you during these theoretically slower winter months to read or listen to at least one book that will stimulate you to begin to plot how you will bring the gospel to your neighborhood and to the world. I'm thinking about books like John Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad, or the collection of articles in the book Finish the Mission, or David Platt's Mission Precision, all of them available for free download online. If you have children still at home, read with them through the missionary biographies written for children. Fuel your children's passion by reading about William Carey, the father of modern missions. Read, them, read with them about Gladys Aylward, that poor English cleaning lady who traveled alone by train across Siberia to reach China and who then gave her whole life for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray as a family for lost friends and family. And dads, it is your God-given duty to be leading your wife and children to have a passion for Christ and his kingdom, to be world Christians. Who of you teens will consider giving your entire life to the service of Jesus Christ to bring the 
gospel to people who have never heard the name of Christ? How many of you empty nesters will, are willing to prayerfully consider using the second half of your life in service that's directly related to reaching the world for Jesus Christ? Dear friends and members of our church plant in Vermont did just that. He took an early retirement for IBM, and he, he and his wife spent three years serving in Zambia. We have a great, great and grand gospel to proclaim. We have a message of a great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, the King. He died on the cross, bearing God's wrath for sin for all who would believe. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he rules the universe along with God the Father. He will come back to this world as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will rule unchallenged forever and ever and ever and ever. And today God commands all people everywhere to repent and surrender to the Son. If you're here today and you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, He pleads with you. He commands you to repent and bow the knee before the Lord Jesus. The call of Christ is world dominion. Not by the sword, not by taking over the world's power structures. That's the strategy of Islam, not the Christian faith. But we are to ex extend Christ's rule like yeast in a lump of dough, spreading from one person to another to another. As one person after another becomes a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and then tells his or her neighbor about Jesus. He's called each of us to that task. Very briefly, in conclusion, what should propel us to undertake that mandate? Certainly our motivation needs to be higher than just uh, a bare obedience to Christ's commands. Our motivation needs to be the same as it was for Jesus and the early apostles. What led Jesus Christ to leave the glories of heaven, to come to this sin-blighted world? Love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What led the Apostle Paul to face constant opposition to bring the gospel to much of the known world of his day? He spoke of his motivation this way, for the love of Christ controls us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 John Piper has made a strong case that our highest motivation for evangelism and missions is the glory of God. We are convinced that God deserves worship from every single one of his creatures. And God is being robbed of the worship that is due him. It broke my heart when traveling in India and Asia to see parents teaching their children the right way 
to worship false gods, demons. It is only when hearts are transformed by Jesus Christ that God gets the worship that he deserves. There is no greater joy for a Christian than the joy of seeing rebels against God gladly surrender to Jesus Christ, becoming part of his glorious kingdom and giving him the worship that he deserves. Give yourself to the task. Repent of your disobedience. Fuel your zeal for evangelism and missions. Pray that God would give you His love for the lost. Pray that God would show you where He wants you to have a role in seeing that He gets the worship He deserves. Christ has not left us alone to do this. He's given us the church, the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another in this task. But better than that, He's promised us His presence all the way until the end of the age.